This is an ABC podcast. A life lesson that I've learnt the hard way is that even when you are suspected of being a threat to national security, you should always order the most expensive thing on the menu. I'm Elizabeth Kulas. Welcome to Days Like These. Nazim Hussain is a comedy success story. Since starting out just over 10 years ago, he's become a stalwart of the Australian festival circuit. And he's toured his stand-up to international acclaim. Thank you. I've been travelling around a bit. I recently went to a country town in Victoria called Maui. Uh, has anyone here been to Maui before? <laughs> On purpose? No. His comedy style is a blend of nice guy comic meets political commentator. My stand-up was mostly me talking about experiences of racism. I went to this shop in Maui, and as soon as I walked into the shop, no joke, the guy behind the counter looked at me and he said, Oi, mate, you don't happen to be one of them Muslims, do you, mate? And, oh, my God, the material, I had no shortage of material. I said, yeah, I am. And he goes, oh, I knew it, mate. Oh, I knew it, because Muslims are coming to invade Australia, mate. Al-Qaeda's coming to invade Australia, mate. Al-Qaeda is coming to invade Maui, mate. Bye-bye democracy, mate. Hello, Sharia law. Bye-bye carols by candlelight. Hello, beheadings by moonlight. Muslims were in the news all the time, and there was so much suspicion around Muslims. I think to be a Muslim felt quite political. I was like, dude, just relax. No-one's coming to Maui. Before he became that comedian on TV guy, he was Nazim the tax consultant. Guy. And it was during this time that he had an experience worthy of a spy drama. That's what you seriously think. Al-Qaeda, the world's most feared terrorist organisation, would plan their next terrorist attack in, in Maui. In 2011, Nazim's in his mid-twenties, living at home in the suburbs with his mum. Nazim worked as a tax specialist. He commutes every morning into the office, catching a train into the city and battling peak hour. I looked the part. My mum was always very proud seeing me walk out of the house dressed like someone she thought and hoped I would grow up to become, someone in a suit. I charmed people at the office. You know, my work was average, but I used to just... People liked me at the office, so I got away with all sorts of stuff. If anyone listening received tax advice from me, I would encourage you to get a second opinion because I had my mind on other things. And those other things? Sure, there was comedy, but there was something else. It was also at this time that I was the media spokesperson and a board member for the Islamic Council of Victoria, which is the peak representative body for Muslims in Victoria, of which there were 150,000 at the time, hopefully more now. Australia's in its 10th year of the war on terror, with troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. It's been six years since the Cronulla riots. Reports of Islamophobic hate crimes are on the rise. Far-right nationalist groups are gaining traction. In a few years, they'll take to the streets, staging a mock beheading to protest a mosque. And it's among all that that Nazim's called upon for comment. Sometimes I found myself in hot water. One time I was on Q&A, talking about Bin Laden's death and terrorism broadly as someone who has no expertise in any of that. Here he is on the panel talking to future Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull. You know, with so many years of intervention in the Middle East, eventually you're going to create someone like Osama Bin Laden who's going to react in a way that you just can't control. So, so you're saying it's our fault? 
Not saying it's your fault. I think we just need to have broader conversations. Our obsession with Osama bin Laden doesn't actually answer questions about the future now. Like, now that he's gone, that doesn't mean that terrorism goes away. Al-Qaeda still operates the same way that it has. Within the Muslim community, we see a lot of people kind of uh, watered down their Muslimness. We often felt like we were, you know, you'd go to the shops and people were looking at you. At the mosque, the talks would often be about being a good ambassador for your religion. Looking back, that was a really weird time in my life because I was doing the Islamic Council of Victoria community stuff. I was working this suit job and also I was doing stand-up comedy. But all those three things were happening at the same time. Life was just ticking along when he goes to work one day. Rocked up to work, jacket on my seat, went and got coffee, came back 9.30, started going through my emails. All of a sudden I got a call on my phone, blocked number, picked it up. I said, hello. Um, he said, hi, is this Nazim? I said, yeah. He said, hi, Nazim. My name is David. I'm calling from the Australian Security Intelligence Organisation, otherwise known as ASIO. And I said, look, sorry, David, um, I can't speak to you right now. I'm just about to blow up a primary school. <laughs> and he said, sorry, what was that? Nazim and his mates would sometimes call each other and pretend to be terrorists, or law enforcement, or Osama bin Laden. So initially, when he gets this call, he thinks that it's from Armour, his comedy partner. Only the voice on the other end of the phone doesn't sound like Armour. It's official, unfamiliar, and this guy keeps repeating that his name is David. I so, said, well, hang on. How do, I, how do I even know that you're calling from Asia and you're not just one of my friends or my friend's friends participating in some elaborate prank? And he said, well, if you don't, if you don't believe that I'm calling from Asia, Nazim... What you can do is you can hang up the phone, you can Google ASIO's number, you can find the number on the website, call it, and it'll come straight back through to me. So I hung up on him, Googled ASIO, found the website, and I found a general number on their website. I called it, and it connected straight back through to David. And I said, look, um, sorry, David, uh, I am nowhere near a primary school. I'm actually at my desk in an office surrounded by people in suits. Nazim's mind is racing. Why do they want to talk to him? I said, do I legally need to speak to you? And he said, look, Nazim, legally, you don't need to speak to me. You're under no obligation to speak to me. But if you don't speak to me, well, we'll view that adversely, Nazim. So we highly recommend that you speak to me. David elaborates. He wants to talk about anything that might be of interest to ASIO regarding the Muslim. South Asian or Arab-speaking communities in Australia. Nazim thinks those are some pretty broad themes. He doesn't want to shut David down and risk being seen as difficult, but he wants the call to end. And I said, look, David, I'd love to talk, but, but I actually can't because I'm at work right now. So, yeah, I can't. I can't speak to you right now. And he said, that's all right, Nazim. No worries. As soon as you finish work, we'll call you. And then he said, thank you. And then he hung up the phone. And I started freaking out. His first instinct is to Google things that he thinks will make him look patriotic. I literally did start Googling all sorts of things. <laughs> the Australian flag. I love Australia. I'm a fan of the Anzacs. I love America. I started deleting conversation threads with people who I just knew I had, you know, off-colour jokes with. Just anything. I was just like, they're going to fucking go through everything. Nazim is sure his life is about to unravel. Because at this point I'm thinking... 
Maybe they want to speak to me because of one of my jokes with my friends, or maybe one of my friends, who I think is a law-abiding, non-terroristy friend, is a terrorist, and I'm, and I'm going to find out about it in this meeting. And this is how his day continues. Googling, deleting, sweating, hours pass. It was about 5pm when I was like, all right, I've got to go home. I'm not getting any work done, and I haven't heard from this guy, so I put my jacket on, get out of the lift get past security, and as soon as I left the building, I got a call on a Blocks number, picked it up, I said hello, he said, hi Nazim, this is David calling from the Australian Security Intelligence Organisation, otherwise known, I was like, yeah, yeah, Asia, okay, I get it, hi David, he's like, hi Nazim, if you could just turn right at the Yarra River, which was exactly in front of where I was standing, I felt like I was in a James Bond movie, except he was playing Bond, and I was playing the soon-to-be-dead terrorist. So I was like, okay, David, uh, I've turned right at the river. He said, just keep walking until you get to the escalators at Southgate and go up the escalators and meet me and my colleague. And I said, well, well, well look, David, um, I was just doing a bit of Googling. You probably saw that. And I was Googling ASIO laws. And um, you probably saw that I was highlighting one particular bit over and over, which was the bit that said that you guys can actually detain me for up to seven days even if I'm not arrested or charged with anything. At the time, ASIO had special powers to detain someone for a week if they had information on a terrorism offence, even if they weren't suspected themselves. The law also allowed this to be done in secret, so if someone revealed where they were during their seven-day absence, they could be charged with a criminal offence and jailed for up to five years. And Nazim? He's just gotten up to speed with all this. That's pretty scary, Dave. I can't just go missing for seven days. Can I, can I at least tell my mum or anybody where I'm going to be? Can I call my mum up and just tell her? I said, no, Nazim, you can't tell anybody that you're meeting with me. But if you're really worried, how about you call your mum up and simply tell her that you're okay? I said, I just can't. I can't, do, I can't just call my mum up and be like, hi, mum. Um, I just thought I'd let you know that I'm okay. As if that's not going to freak the shit out of her. He said, look, just, just, just don't panic. Keep walking. Go to the escalators meet me and my colleague, and we'll go out for dinner at a really nice restaurant on South Bank. We'll pay for dinner. As he's approaching the restaurant, Nazim starts making phone calls. He follows David's advice not to reveal anything. I call one of my friends up. He didn't pick up. I call my mum up, and I just spoke to her. I didn't tell her that I was okay, but I just had a conversation with my mum, which is not something that I normally do. My mum normally calls me up and is telling me off about something or chasing me up about something, but I never just call my mum up for a chat. I then called one of my trusted friends, someone that I've known since I was a child, the sort of person who I thought I could talk to and he would understand what I meant because I thought my phone was tapped at this point. I thought ASIO was definitely listening to every phone call I was making. So I called my friend up and I was like, hey, bro. And he's like, hey, what's going on? I said, hey, um, yeah, do you mind making sure you call me later tonight? And he said, oh, no, I'm going to a soccer match now. What's up? I said, can you just call me later tonight? And he said, why? Just tell me what's going on. What, 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 do, you want? Just tell me, what do you want to talk about? I said, just make sure you call me later tonight. He goes, look, bro, i got to go. And then he just hung up the phone. He arrives at the shopping precinct as per the instructions and takes the escalators to the second level. After a few minutes, he's greeted by two tall men. Affable, big smiles waving right at him. 
I don't know if David's listening and his mate, but they sort of look like people who were wearing civilian clothes. Like, they didn't look like they normally wear those sorts of clothes. Like, they're wearing jeans and, like, a polo top and casual shoes. Oh, they sort of reminded me of Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> so, so they both approached me and said, Hi, Nazim. And I was like, Oh, hey, David, how's it going? And he goes, Come on, let's go for dinner. And I said, oh, cool, where are we going? And he pointed out the restaurant, which is this really nice restaurant on the Yarra that I've never been to before. And we went in there, and the waiter points us to this table by the window. Beautiful view of the city. We were sitting right against the window, all the buildings. I just remember it being a beautiful night. White tablecloth on the table, fancy cutlery. Three of us sitting around this table. And then the three of us just started talking, you know, just pretending that we were like three old friends, just catching up. Outwardly, Nazim keeps his cool as they chat about mundane things. Nothing that would ruffle feathers. Yeah, and the conversation was just about ordinary life, you know, how my day at work was. Bit of a tough day at work, you know, clients, this and that. I almost forgot that I was having this interview with Asia. It almost felt like a first date. It was just nice. The menu came, the the waiter asked what we want to eat, and they made a point of saying that they're going to pay again. I ordered big, like I ordered an entire fish which had market price next to it on the menu. That's something that I wouldn't ordinarily order because uh, the price is mysterious. I ordered extra chips for the table, fresh mango juice, mango juice. I just kept ordering more and more mango juice, mango juice, mango juice, and they just keep bringing out mango juice. About 45 minutes later, I was completely full. I guess they got to know a lot about me. They never answered a question about themselves. Everything just ended up being about me, which I guess is natural. We were there for that purpose. But then there came a point where the conversation pivoted and sort of turned slightly, and they started dropping into the conversation facts about my life that only I would know or my family would know or you would only know if you took a deep dive into my life or were a spy. What information did they have? I think they said something like, so when your parents got divorced when you were six, which was never something that I said to them. And I think they were dropping that sort of stuff in just to let me know that they're ASIO. Nazim says they move between revealing deeply personal tidbits to asking obvious, almost naive questions. There was one question that the non-David guy, I've forgotten his name, but he asked me, he said, hey, Nazim, so tell us, what do you do apart from work? And I said, oh, well, um, apart from, you know, doing the comedy thing on the side. And then him and David sort of looked at each other a little bit confused, like, oh, you do comedy? We had no idea that you you do comedy. Oh, wow. Tell us a bit more about that. He thinks that for whatever reason, they're playing dumb. Of course they'd know he did comedy. It wasn't a secret. Maybe it's a tactic designed to unsettle him. It works. At this point, I was like, guys, come on, like, this is, this is ridiculous. Like, you can actually Google that information. Like, surely you know that I do comedy. That's Googleable information. And why are we even doing this, actually? You know, you guys are from ASIO. You, you should already know that. Like, why am I even here? Why do you want to speak to me? I've not done anything wrong. I'm not a terrorist. I'm not, I'm not an extremist Muslim. I, I'm not a radical Muslim. Why do you want to? Why do you want to speak to me? And then David leaned across the table and said something to me that I don't think I will ever forget. He said, look, Nazim, we don't think you're a terrorist. We don't think you're an extremist Muslim. We don't think you're a radical Muslim. But we do think that you have the propensity to become radicalised. And we think in the process, you have the propensity 
to radicalise others around you. You're a charismatic guy, Nazim. And I said, um, thank you. Nazim is whiplashed. There's a knot of confusion, anxiety in his stomach. How do you even convince two ASIO agents who just bought you a whole fish that in the future you won't be committing any crimes? Where does a dinner go to after that? And what was the point of all this? Then the conversation and the dinner just sort of wrapped up and uh, we were about to part ways, but before we did, David turns to me and says to me, dead in the eyes, Nazim, before we let you go, don't tell anybody about this meeting, okay? And I said, sure, of course not. And then I told everybody I knew about this meeting. But not before seeking some legal advice first. I spoke to a friend, and he had a barrister friend, who basically said, look, you can talk about this so long as you're not saying anything that compromises national security. So if they told you anything sensitive, don't go talking about that. But otherwise, yes, there's nothing in the law that prevents you speaking about your meeting with Asia. I said, all right, great. I'm about to profit off that interaction by using it in stand-up for the rest of my career. And use it he did, night after night. And as Nazim continues to tell the story, something he wasn't expecting begins to happen. Turns out a lot of my friends and other community members had this same sort of experience happen to them, except most people just did what they were told to do and not talk about it. But because I'm a stand-up comedian and I can't keep secrets, I spoke about it. And as soon as I started speaking about it, lots of my friends started speaking to me about it. People respond differently to their free meal from ASIO. Most said, not much. Some were defensive. Except for one guy. I had one friend who, um, just to sort of prove to them that he was not a terrorist and that he was on side and cooperative and wanted to help them, he just started ratting out members of the community that he thought might be suspicious and that they should check out. He was like, oh, maybe you should, maybe you should interview Muhammad. Uh, he seems like a, a guy who's got lots of secrets. Here's his number. Well, why don't you go visit his dad at his shop? And everyone was on the lookout for intelligence operatives. You've got to remember, like, the, the community, we were, we were rattled. We felt intense scrutiny. We were suspicious of everybody. And, and definitely people that were white. If there was, like, a, a, a white guy, like a new white guy at the mosque, we were all like, that guy is definitely an ASIO plant. And we'd just start asking them questions about where they grew up and, you know, um, if they could recite parts of the Quran. And, and I, I feel bad because there, there, there's, there's still some convert Muslims who are, who are as part of the community who oh, I remember back in the day when they first became Muslim, you know, were subject to some pretty full-on interrogations by all of us. But you know what? No regrets, all right? You've earned your stripes. About a year and a half after Nazim's date with ASIO, he puts away his suit becomes a comedian full-time. His sharp political commentary overlaid with his easy, laid-back charm. It's something that he attributes to growing up at a time when suspicion of Islam was so rife in the Australian community. And, you know, I found myself as well when talking to non-Muslims, I'd find myself overcompensating, being really nice. I would smile a lot more. He hands over the reins as spokesperson for the Islamic Council of Victoria. That was serious business. And while he wasn't afraid of getting into those debates, his natural inclination was to be the funny guy. You know, I felt like I was performing to non-Muslims just in ordinary conversation, being as funny as I could. Probably helped me with my comedy career, to be honest. When you tell an Australian that you've never drunk alcohol before, it's as if you've just pressed Control-Alt-Delete on their brain. (laughs) Life moved on 
touring his comedy act to bigger venues, his profile growing. Ladies and gentlemen, we have so much fun. I mean, you've seen us on the news. All that stuff we do, completely sober. But the experience of dinner with ASIO, it stayed with him. I never heard from them again, like ever again, but it never really resolved. I never felt like, oh, well, my case is closed. Effectively, I went out for dinner with a couple of guys and they just chat to me about stuff and that was it. I didn't get arrested, didn't get locked up. You know, I can travel freely. I, I, I'm not on any list to my knowledge, but the mere fact that you're being interviewed by Australia's spy agency or whatever, it scares the crap out of me. You start thinking about whether you can call your home your home. And even if the political climate does move and shift and, and the focus is elsewhere, you never get a letter saying, hey, we're not interested in you anymore. You, you always feel like you're a person of interest. Nazim's stand-up about that dinner manages to skewer all the ideas about Muslims that had brought him to that restaurant on the Yarra. The assumption is that Muslims know who the terrorists are in the community. All you need to do is ask, but we don't all know. The ter- we don't, I don't know who the terrorists are. But like all of his comedy... The politics comes with a love of the weird stuff that happens to him. And he dives deep into his own sense of how the hell did that happen. So uh, I went on a date the other day. I know, still got it. Only one date, didn't go anywhere. Wasn't with a girl. Nah, thought I'd mix it up. Two guys. I'm, I'm pretty open-minded. And get this, they paid. What gentleman? Actually, come to think of it, you paid. It was a taxpayer-funded date. And in the end, he'll never quite know how it happened. And it'll never really be resolved. But with the experience comes some wisdom that he'd like to share with everyone. It's been like 10 years since that chat and I still think about it sometimes. But what I can say is if you are going to be interviewed by ASIO, at least get a damn good meal out of them on them. Thanks so much for listening to Days Like These. If you've got a story to share, please get in touch. Our email is dayslikethese at abc.net.au. You can also follow Days Like These on the ABC Listen app or your favourite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. And while you're there, if you could leave us a rating and a review, it helps new people find the show. Today's episode was reported by Carla Arnold and it was made on the lands of the Wiradjuri Woi Wadung and Gadigal people. Sound design and engineering on this episode by Hamish Camilleri. The supervising producer was Tom Wright. Our producer is Tamar Cranswick. Our script editor is Sophie Townsend. Our executive producers are Ian Walker and Tom Wright. Our theme song is Yeah Now by the Gooch Palms, courtesy of Ratbag Records and BMG. I'm Elizabeth Coolass. See you next time. Next time on Days Like These. Barb grew up in a large Irish Catholic family headed by her father Dave, a devout and eccentric man. As an adult, Barb walks away from the church and everything that Dave believes. That is, until he cooks up a plan to bring peace to Northern Ireland through prayer. And Barb finds herself 
right at the centre of it. I don't know how he came up with the plan, but I think he did himself go, this is what I can do. If I can have a statue of Our Lady handcrafted by the monks in Fatima for Walsingham in England and another one that goes to Northern Ireland and people pray in those areas, we can bring back our peace in Northern Ireland. So can one woman, her devout father and two statues of the Virgin Mary bring peace to Northern Ireland? Find out next week on Days Like These. And in the meantime, why not check out another great ABC podcast like this one? Hi, I'm Mon Shafter and I've been out for quite a while now. But even in a country like Australia that has marriage equality, coming out isn't always easy. I was too scared. He had to tell me. There's always an anxiety no matter how many times you do it. Innies and Outies is a podcast where you'll hear stories from queer Australians about coming out and sometimes staying in. I knew that he loved me regardless of who I was. Find Innies and Outies on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.